Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. Excited to have my next guest and have a topic to chat about that I've been thinking uh, a lot about. Uh, This year has been kind of caught up to me and I caught up to a lot of folks professionally. So um, wanted to welcome Kate Cockrell to the podcast. Kate, welcome. Hey Dan, nice to be here. Yeah, well let's, uh, I would love to start just if you don't mind giving um, the, the folks a little overview of yourself and I know it's a big, broad question, and I don't know how to answer it when someone asks me, but I <laughs> would love for you to, to, to give so, folks a little bit about yourself. Sure, of course. Thanks. Uh, it's nice to have a low bar when uh, <laughs> describing yourself. But yeah, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a coach. That's um, the, primarily what I do. I'm a professional coach, um, ICF certified, and I work with professionals who are looking to improve their performance, who are... Um, but a lot of times looking to have a more balanced uh, life between their career. Um, these are ambitious people who want to have more balance between their career and the other things in their life that matters. A lot of the people I work with are super purpose-driven. Um, before going into coaching, um, I've been a management consultant. I've worked in academia. I uh, launched and ran a nonprofit for several years. So I have a pretty varied background. Um, and uh, one of the things, and we'll talk about this probably later that I've been working on um, lately is, is digital mindfulness and mm. uh, how we interface with technology. Well, thanks for that. And I kind of want to get, and we talked a couple of weeks ago to kind of prep for this conversation. And a good place to start, uh, maybe for me, is let's define burnout. I mean, what, what is it? What does it mean? Uh, I think we all probably know the feeling, but I'm not sure, you know, just some parameters around it. Yeah. So technically, burnout has these three dimensions. It's a combination of overwhelming exhaustion, feeling more cynical and detached from the job, and a sense of ineffectiveness or lack of accomplishment. So we talk about burnout as being these states, right, that that people can exist in. Um, but a lot of what leads up to those states is a, a big part of the conversation, I think, now as well. Um, and I will add, you know, burnout is a is a that you can even hear like in the definition that I provided. It's like there's a severity to it. Um, but I wanted to introduce like another word that we could also use, um, or actually two other words. So. I don't know if you saw that Adam Grant uh, piece on languishing earlier mm-hmm. this year. Okay. 
So languishing is basically, it's a, it's kind of the void between like burnout and flourishing, flourishing being like the, the, the great side of wellness, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. where you really have a strong sense of meaning and mastery. You feel that you matter to others. And then languishing is you don't have the symptoms of burnout uh, or mental illness, like depression necessarily, but you might not be functioning at full capacity. You, you might, your motivation might be dulled. Um, you might not have as much focus and you may not be enjoying uh, the things that you're doing both in work and out of work. Right. And I think that's helpful. I, I think we, we all read a lot about, you know, if you're on LinkedIn, like I am a lot, there's a lot of people sharing stuff about burnout and, and what, but so just kind of defining it, right. Is, is I think super helpful. Um, how, I guess leading up you said some, you mentioned some factors that have been leading up to it. So what are some things people can kind of recognize in themselves before it gets to those, to that point, maybe where people are depressed or languishing a lot? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, having a job that's overwhelming where there's Mm -hmm. too much to do and too little time at too fast of a pace. Um, and so I, I think, you know, we've been in this pivotal moment in, uh, the last two years where people have managed several state, like several transitions. There's been a transition from, you know, real world to COVID world, right? Like this Mm -hmm. transition from what was to what currently is. And then there was a question of how long that would last. So, um, in our home life and in our work life, we've been preparing for living a different kind of life then preparing to go back to normal life and sort of switching back again into uh, a life where we're, we're focusing on reducing risk. Um, so I think the back and forth for people, you know, whether you're parents and you're managing having children at home or not working in your workplace or you're, you know, a parent who's working out of the house and you're mm-hmm. managing those exposures, there's just a tremendous amount of change um, yeah. that people have had to managing their lives and it has a, it has an impact. And so, um, I I think also, you know, I think about leaders who COVID caused them to have to downsize or think about, you know, how are they going to really make money for their company? Because, you know, maybe depending on the industry that you're in. So it's a lot. I mean, for leaders, it's a lot to balance for people who are not in leadership. Um, they have a lot to balance and I think everyone's feeling it. Yeah. And, and I want to get in some, maybe some strategies or things that you can share that will help, but there's this bigger kind of question around it that I don't, I don't want to make this like too broad, but when we talked last time, you are not your job. I guess I think that's, a bigger question. I think some of this, these changes in how like specifically knowledge workers have been working in the shift of that. I think that's part of it. And, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, what your thoughts are on that. But I think a lot of folks struggle with that, including, you know, me personally. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know what's some framework around that or just, just thoughts around that. Do you, do you find that to be true or? Yeah. And, and you and I mind? were, <laughs> we, we actually had our first conversation um, was awesome. I appreciated it so much. And we were talking about a book that we both mutually read called, um, oh gosh, now I'm blanking. Tell me the name of the book again. Yeah. How, uh, can't even, can't even. Can't even. Right. Right. And so I'm a lot a, of people might, yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, so it's about, uh, 
millennials and burnout specifically looking at that age group, which um, we both disclosed that we're sort of, I think you're on the uh, younger edge and I'm a little bit on the older edge. Of millennials. Elder millennials. We'll just we're keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. So um, Anne Helen Peterson, who's the author of that book brings up a lot of, um, a, a lot of context for burnout that existed before COVID. Right. So the entire explanation I just provided was like, now we are managing this kind of global health crisis. So the global health crisis is on top of, right? Um, mindsets that have to do with work that you're talking about, and also the introduction of technology that has really quickened the pace of work. Mm -hmm. So Anne Helen Peterson's uh, project really looks at, you know, what are the mindsets that um, particularly millennials brought into the workplace um, as a result of what she calls concerted, um, concerted, it's like a concerted focused parenting that right. instilled in a particular generation, spe specifically people who go into knowledge work, the idea that they are their purpose, they are their work purpose, and um, that achievement is tremendously important, that standing out is tremendously important. Um, having a job that's cool, that has like a sense of cachet is really important. And that almost everything that they've done in their life is sort of leading up to these professional moments. And it downplays right. other aspects of life that I think offer meaning and purpose to people and, and that people are discovering now that we've been spending more time at home. Mm. Um, yeah. I think that's so well put in summary of the book and maybe this last, you know, this COVID time has really, it made me step back and kind of recognize that a lot. And it's, you know, sometimes hard to enjoy other things. And I think a bigger part of it too is we discussed this too um just always wanting to be productive i mean i have extreme guilt if i'm not thinking of doing something for work you know i work for myself but that even exasperates it um or you know in the book she she kind of talked about back in the day you know success was getting to a point where you can have leisure time and really enjoy it and that was like a pinnacle like leisure yeah. and that's kind of gone away. You're like the most successful people that we've interacted with, I have, um, they can't enjoy time off. Right. So yeah. I, yeah. I think that's a part of it as well. Yeah. So what happens you, you have, I actually just put a poll up on, on LinkedIn about this and I, um, you have a day off and, th and this is not for everybody, but a group of, there are a group of people, right. Who are working, who feel a, a deep attachment and identification with their work and their, and, uh, sort of perpetual feeling of never enoughness mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and and also almost like a, a, a sense of being watched when they're not on right like that the behavior that they that they have in their off hours is being sort of like toggled or measured by somebody in the sky right. who's like the laziness you know arbiter and so yeah <laughs> then you you have this day off and you're thinking do i um what, what can I do? It, it can actually cause a feeling, a little bit of a feeling of crisis. And then I also think there's this thing that happens when you spend time off um, that people haven't been spending very much time with their own minds because we're so like focused on, you know, we're so distracted during the day. So a lot of people that I've worked with, particularly on digital mindfulness and detaching from their work, struggle with thoughts, like simply the thoughts in their own head. And they need strategies for 
just kind of calming down the mind so they can mm -hmm. be in a state of rest. Oh gosh. Yeah, I know it's, I don't want you to give away all your, your tips, but maybe we can talk about that uh, later in the conversation. And I, yeah, I, I think it's funny how you get to a point in maybe in my case, midlife and have never had any training in that or professionally, it's, it has never been talked about really. I think it's, you know, obviously being talked about more uh, currently as we're chatting through in our podcast, but it almost should be like when you're entering professional life, like a, uh, some kind of training should be required for that because it's a problem. And now that a lot of folks in our cohort are managers leading large teams for large companies, um, you know, they're dealing with that for themselves and for their teams, right? Yeah. I think one of the things I noticed is when I went from being a manager to an executive director, I knew and I, and I talked to other people who had that job, executive director, that I would need help. And it was the first time that professional development felt like I'd earned it. It felt like my job required it. And so I invested in it. Our organization invested in it. My board invested in it. And in those leadership development courses is where I learned mindfulness. It's where I learned um, presence. It's, a, it's where I learned to manage workplace triggers, just, you know, some mm -hmm. trauma-informed workplace stuff I learned through leadership. Um, specifically, I took a course called The Art of Leadership at the Rockwood Institute, which is out of Berkeley, which works with okay. a lot of nonprofit leaders. But I think there's this group of people, um, like non, like people, who, I mean, in the corporate, you know, like people who aren't in the C-suite necessarily, like managers, especially in companies where there hasn't been a tradition of offering professional development who are, who, who do not receive it. And then I think a lot of entrepreneurs, small business owners also don't get it. So there are, you know, groups of people who have tremendous amount of workload, a lot of responsibility, but aren't getting the sport that they yeah. need. So, I mean, I think this transitions to our next topic we want to talk about pretty nicely is the great resignation. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, a term thrown out there, but I personally, in the past like three weeks, I have talked to a lot of uh, folks I know who've just quit their job. And some of them have stuff lined up because they've evaluated, hey, like getting back to the purpose thing and things they want to do. Some of them have not. So it's not just like a headline. I think it's real. And I would get, like to get your thoughts on it. And what do you think is kind of driving that? And maybe there is some hyperbole about you know, media and all that. But um, what do you think about it? Well, I think, um, I mean, I think it's important to talk about women in the context of the great resignation, first of all, because the, the, um, in, in households where there's a two parent household, you know, because women make about 70% on the dollar, right. To men when COVID happened and there was a tremendous transition in the workforce, women really brought that home, right? Like that was mm -hmm. who's going to manage having school age children in the home manage their education. So you saw a lot of women exit the workforce or really dramatically pull back on their hours. Mm. Um, and, and that might need or be in situations where they couldn't step into leadership because they were managing, mm. you know, what's happening at home. And so, um, you know, for Howie and I, my husband, who you've also had on the podcast is yeah. an attorney. And I was, um, I was working a contract as a consultant, um, just before the pandemic. And we, that was a decision that we made. We decided to like really dramatically pull back on my work hours so I could work, uh, with my kid who 
um, is it neurotypical and needed extra support in school? And I, I put a lot of focus into that at this and, you know, on did, did a little business building on the side. Sure. Um, so I think part of the great resignation is, is a, was a big uh, group of women leaving the workforce, at least in the way that they had been working when they had no kids at home and available childcare. Yeah. Um, and then I also think there's a, now as we're seeing schools have opened, um, of course, Portland was like a, a, the latest adopter on school. Um, and you've got people who have the opportunity to go back to the workforce, but are beginning to think about, well, what am I gaining and losing here? And we've seen that a lot in the service sector, right? So this is separate from the conversation about women specifically, and you know, knowledge workers who had had to like balance this piece, but you know, with the supports that people have received um, to, there's been the supports that people have received from the government to support them through the pandemic when there were so many closures of like restaurants and service, you know, service delivery. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, you know, people are like, am I, what's the benefit here? We've readjusted our household income to, you know, meet the needs of our family. Do what, can I want more? Do I want more? So I'm seeing people resign. I'm seeing people leave. I'm seeing lots of jobs sit open. And I'm also seeing unionization happening in some Mm. unexpected places. Yeah, no, I think it's that reshifting of, and it comes back, maybe what you said early and it resonates with me, is just uh, the overwhelmingness. And, you know, really saying, is it worth it? Right? And checking yourself. And I think, uh, what do you think going forward? What what does it mean for the labor market in terms of the kind of work you do with you know folks looking for that or really flexibility on the front of you know folks mind? Because um, we've seen I mean there's some inflation at play, but we've seen some you know either you're an hourly work worker or waging wages they've gone up right, and it's kind of interesting how quickly you know, some companies have said, okay, we'll do start at $15 an hour. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's been interesting how that's played out. And I don't know your thoughts on that too. I I'm thinking if you are, you know, this is a good time for a family meeting, you know, I don't know how your, how different <laughs> families are structured, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but for us, it's like, you know, we've, we've had my husband and I have had like really clear conversations about what matters to us. Like, where do we want to put mm. our energy and attention um, what is an income we can live on? We actually went to some of the real basics, you know, it used to be in the earlier part of our career. So, you know, we're in our forties and our kids are in middle school and elementary school, mm-hmm. and we used to live in the Bay area. And so it was like the only dial we had was earn more money. That was really for the first part of our career. That was what we yeah. felt. And now we feel like we have this dial having moved to Portland, things are a little bit more affordable, you know, we're a little bit later in our career. So we're looking at different dials and thinking about, well, how can we, you know, how can we reduce expenses? What is really enough? You know, what, um, what are the savings plans that really matter to us? So I think looking at that, what are our actual personal finances style is really important and getting clear about what is, what, what do you need to earn as opposed yeah. to trying to go for the, the biggest earning. Um, cause I found for us, at least for me, when money is the most important thing, it reduces my decisions, the number mm. of possibilities that are available to me. And I think mm-hmm. people are really longing for choice. Explain that. And, and when you say, are you looking at it as like when simply the, the, the money decision, whether it's 
you want have maybe more so you can spend it on certain things or and it's i think yeah. it's really valuable to kind of walk through that well let's okay so one of the things that changed for us at, at the pandemic like just in our household is we had our kids in private school mm-hmm. which was a supportive surprising decision but we found this great school we loved it and it was really fantastic before the pandemic after the pandemic we thought you know we're kind of one of the trade-offs we're looking at is you know basically Kate starting her business and having a couple leaner years and the kids being in public school but you know, Kate being around more, right? So that's one of the trade-offs that we've sort of balanced here is that I'm able, because of the job that I have, um, I'm able to support, you know, I was able to coach for the kids soccer team, which was, right. which was such a cool experience this year that I would never have had when I was working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week as an yeah. executive director. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's those kinds of trade-offs that, you know, if I can spend more time with them on, uh, the things that matter to them, you know, maybe I spend a little bit less time at work. Well, knowing that you're like-minded in a certain ways, I, th- that's an amazing decision, but do you still, did you still feel the pull of, gosh, I should be spending more time on my business. I should be more productive on that way. And I think that's kind of getting back to our, the, we started this conversation and I know you're helping people with that. So, um, you know, you, you work through it yourself probably too, but that's well, where, so that's where the numbers, yeah. that's where the numbers I think come into play. So, okay. Yeah. So is, I need to be spending more on time on my business. Is that like a habit I have? Yeah. Is it real? Is mm. it a mindset? So I've spent a lot of time, like, you know, a lot looking at our finances and having a pretty solid financial plan is the first step, because then you can really release the question of, you know, is this, I mean, the business makes money. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to make quite as much money as I was when I was consulting Yeah, and the kids were in private school. Right. And we were paying for more things out of the house. So, so first, you know, getting those finances clear so that that can be less of a a focus. And then, um, and then the question comes, okay, so if I think I need to be working more, what kind of work is going to be the most valuable? Right. Mm -hmm. So what do I really want to prepare to do and spend my time doing as opposed to just appearing busy yeah. Um, for the sake of business. So my actual work hours, I would say that I work about somewhere between three and six hours a, a day. Right. Okay. And I, and I let that be, I, I didn't, before it would be like, I have to be sitting at my desk, um, working. Mm-hmm. And now I know that, for example, one of my, my most two places that most, the most important work happens for me, this is going to sound weird, are on hikes and in the shower. Like the, those are the times when like the ideas come and I'm able yeah. to get writing done and things like that. So I've, I've really kind of come to accept that there's like a way that I work well and it's enough. Yeah, that, it's enough. That, and I think that, I think that's what, you know, again, I, but I know other folks struggle with, is that a, a, a enough, right? Cause being able and doing that work to figure that out, like, you might be more productive working three hours a day or just as much if you sat in front of a computer for eight hours a day because we all know there's wandering time and, and and all that. And just there's just like, I don't even know if it's the money part of it for you know getting back to that book around folks, maybe our generation. It's just being productive, doing stuff. Like that's breaking that chain is so hard and I'm trying to do that work myself. Um, so I appreciate you sharing 
Uh, well, let's learn more about your, your work on digital mindfulness. What can you share about that? Sure. Well, so this is another dial that, um, you know, we talked about, you know, there's this, there's this money dial, which can mm-hmm. impact, you know, um, your sense of having to be on your sense of enoughness, your sense of, um, like, you know, <laughs> how much, how many t- hours you have to spend at your desk. Yeah. The other one, you know, and, and actually there's a real, there's a whole chapter on this in Anne Helen Peterson's book. Um, and there was also recently a documentary called the social dilemma, which millions and millions mm. of people have watched, mm-hmm. which is pointing to the fact that we spend so much time in social media and using digital tools that our entire concept of work has changed because of these digital tools. So here's an example. You're you're trying to enjoy your weekend and you have a plan of how you're going to kind of decompress and you get a Slack message from somebody or you get an email alert on your phone. Um, so before, you know, we had these smartphones in our pocket at all times. Those alerts would have stayed contained in sort of our work area, either at our office or in our homes. And maybe we check occasionally, but the disruptive nature of technology has really impacted people's sense of being off, I think. And I became really aware of it one day when I was simply trying to make lunch. And I was, um, I had this idea and of what I wanted from the refrigerator. And I moved to the refrigerator to get it. And I literally in the two feet forgot what it was. (laughs) Because of the amount of information overload that I was managing. It happened three times. I walked across that space and couldn't remember it. So um, I started to really look at my relationship with my phone. And and I've I've really minimized it at this point Mm -hmm. in order Mm -hmm. to open up more space in my life for clarity and for what matters. And what are some some tactics for that? They're just obviously like turning off your alerts. So you're just doing kind of pulling the... The messages yeah. or what and, you, and there, those alerts will um, even this weekend I watched something on uh, SNL and somehow YouTube like figured out how to like re- like reset my phone so it was then <laughs> I had to turn that off today definitely turning <laughs> off your alert I think yeah. the first thing you know I actually I, this is from Catherine Price's book on called How to Break Up with Your Phone but one thing that's fun to do is actually just put um, a rubber band around your phone it will signal to you to think about it when you pick it up. Mm. So that's just the first part. Just notice, like notice how often you pick it up. Um, you, people in the United States pick up their phones and open them an average of 150 times a day. That's wild. Right. Can you that, imagine like in the eighties yeah. with like long, crazy, you know, swirly cords yeah. that we were, you know, picking up that phone that many times. So, so yeah, get it, bringing some awareness. Um, I also made a bed for my phone. That it sleeps in at night. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I sleep with my phone out of my room and I yeah. don't look at it first thing in the morning and I don't look at it, you know, the last thing before I go to bed. I have something similar. So, well, we have a two story house. So we have, I do at least, I'm working on my wife on this, but um, the um, second floor rule. So my phone never goes to the second floor. So it's always on the first floor. Oh, that is cool. And so, so yes, yeah, so a friend told me they did this. And I mean, I, still have maybe like an iPad and I watch Netflix on at night, but I don't have email or anything on that. Um, so my phone always stays the first floor. So again, like you, I don't check it at night. Usually it's not the first thing I check in the morning. And just a little thing like that has been helpful for me. And I think I might've mentioned this, this to you too, is my wife and I, we stopped 
reading or consuming any news. It's been uh, seven weeks now, and it's totally just really changed the dynamic of a lot of things as well. And, you know, ignorance. What are you noticing about it? What What do you notice <sighs> seven weeks out well, of news? Yeah. Tactics, wise, you know, just small wise uh, things. I'm always, if I had a second, I'd pick up my phone and check news. I subscribe to mm-hmm. all the news. Uh, publications, which I should unsubscribe, but uh, so I'm checking it just if I have a minute, if I'm bored and you're reading things that are just not, they're trivial, right? If you never knew about them, but they, the effect that it had on me or my wife, like what did this is kind of, you know, watching things unfold in Afghanistan. And just, I think it really affected my wife emotionally and watching that brought a lot of feelings back of we're both a generation of September 11th. Oh yeah, I guess we've been there. And so after that, we're like, this is not healthy for us. You know what I mean? Let's, if something's important enough, it will make its way to us. <laughs> Someone will say, Hey, did you know that, you know, meteor's coming or something? But, um, so, you know, it's just been helpful in our relationship too. We're not talking about the news, like some of our connection that we had throughout the day when you have kids, right? You might get like 15 minutes together. We were talking about the news. So that's off the table. And um, so that's been really helpful. Nice. Yeah, I think the news checking for me had sort of two, there were two reasons why I would do it. One is that sense of like, I've got to, you know, differentiate myself as a thinker, Mm. consultant, business owner, or nonprofit, you know, executive. So Mm -hmm. feeling like I was aware of the trends and what's happening in the world, right? Like, and if anyone has ever lived in New York or California, you can tell it's like even more intense. Like, you know, I mean, of course, Portland, like that sketch from Portlandia. Have you read, (laughs) you know, that was so funny. Right. But it is, it's this culture of like, are you awake? Are you paying attention? You know? Um, And then the other piece I think that's come in for me is, you know, I really deeply care about social justice and I, you know, there's a feeling around not watching the news that makes me concerned that I might put my head in the sand, you know, and not be paying Mm -hmm. attention in a way Mm -hmm. that's important for the things I care about. So, for the first one, I'm like, okay, I'm enough. You know, I can, I can just say to myself, like, don't, you don't need to always be on and you don't have to know everything. Um, but the second one, one of the things that we've done in our family is actually, um, or, you know, when George Floyd was murdered and we were spending a lot of time, like inquiring in our own family about how we want to show up for the things that we care about. We actually made like a social justice family plan where we sat down as a family and talked about our values and we talked about what matters. And so we have a much more consistent set of habits and things that we give to and, you know, ways that we volunteer. So it feels less that I have to be on the hook to the, to the momentary changes. Mm -hmm. And I can Mm -hmm. feel like I'm connected to the things that really do matter. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think that's amazing. And, um, I obviously like to have a follow-up conversation of as we reemerge, my wife and I into, you know, it's important to know things like how we handle that. Cause it was, it was getting pretty not helpful in a way. And I hate to be just totally ignorant of what's going on, but it, it was not healthy at all. So I think, uh, you know, you sharing how you're kind of integrating that to, with your family is super cool. Um, well, let's a couple things before we go, let's talk about hikes. You said a lot of times, you, you, you know, you, you're doing your best work or thinking your best work on thing hikes, like, you know, hikes, <sighs> you know, 
I, I love that. I, I think about that every day. I'm like, I should go for a long walk and it'll probably help me, but I got to do this or I got to do this. So um, what are some of your favorite hikes you can share or yeah, locally? Well, same, even though like, I know that this thing is true about the hike and, and how much, I mean, awe is such a important experience to like be in touch with our own like vitality as humans and experience joy. And it's an antidote to burnout and to stress. It, yeah. it just, you know, you're, when you're burned out, you're, you're, um, the aperture on your camera gets really narrow. So being in spaces that are bigger that you can, you know, witness the world is like really important. So anyway, the, the hike that I want to recommend to you, um, this week is in Tryon Creek, the horse trails right now are like oh, lit up in yellow. Like, oh, cool. I mean, it kind of looks like the gold, you know, the, um, the yellow brick road in, um, you know, uh, the wizard of Oz Yeah. because yeah. there's this kind of tree and I don't take my phone on walks. Actually. I actually leave it in the car. I'm not gonna tell you what kind of car just so it doesn't get stolen, but, um, <laughs> cause I know you're, you're a thief as well. No, but, yep. um, yeah, I, I <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I leave my phone behind and I like walk into the woods and it really doesn't take much more than 30 seconds for me to just really feel like I'm dropping into a completely different mindset. Um, and then I've just allowed myself to kind of let thoughts come, you know, I have a workshop coming up or a coaching session that I really want to think about. Like I give myself permission to just kind of deeply think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I also just like say hi to other hikers and mm-hmm. there's a feeling of, um, just really being connected to something else, something that's very real. And yeah. Yeah. I think that little tip, even like not bringing your phone, even if you're like, I'm not going to use it. I'm just going to listen to a podcast or music. Um, I've started doing that too. In the evenings when I take my dog for a long walk, I just won't bring my phone. And it's amazing. Just that little thing has helped me. Um, I want to get your advice on something before we go. And this is just, I've been thinking a lot about taking an extended break. I've talked to folks who have are taking a um, professional sabbatical or have. Um, and when I say extended break, maybe it's like you know four weeks, five weeks. Um, what's your thoughts on those? Have you ever done it? Uh, you know, if you, you have any tips for people who if they want to take that time to, to do, because I've never, you know, here I am, you know, 20 years in my professional life. I got a long ways to go. I got two kids. I'll be working forever. Um, but I've never, you know, taken, you know, three or four weeks off. So. Yeah. Yes. I have taken time off. Um, I think, you know, and this is, you know, this is the coach in me. It's like, you know, what are you looking for? Like, what, what would, what, what do you want to walk away from this experience learning about? Maybe not like, you don't have to take a productive mindset into it mm-hmm. where it's like, I have to figure something out. You don't have to like yep. write Hamilton while you're reading Chernow on the beach. Like, you know, when <laughs> manuel yep. Miranda did yeah, um, yeah. So just take that stress off <laughs> immediately. Yeah. But like, what are you, you know, in terms of your relationship with yourself, your relationship to work, like what are some of the conversations you want to have with yourself would be a, a mm-hmm. question. Um, and, uh, if if the ex, if this is an experience like an experiment in relaxation, doing a lot of noticing about that, like getting out mm. a journal, like talking to, talking with yourself, talking with your partner about, you know, what really does feel relaxing, because the, the, what you discover in these four weeks can be taken, to, you know, for the rest of your life, yeah. and so like 
you know, noticing it. Um, and I think, you know, listening to some people who are really, uh, if you're going to maybe switching your podcast list to people who really know about rest or people who really mm-hmm. know about getting super soulful, just to add something new into, you know, your makeup. Thanks so much for the, the free uh, coaching advice. That's my secret ploy for this conversation, but no, I appreciate that. And I think that's really powerful to kind of be, um, I think like uh, pay attention if you do take the time. I think that's, I've always struggled with that. So, um, Kate, where can folks find more about you and the work you do and, and, and you know, find you in some of your sure. workshops and other things? So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the only piece. That's the only type of social media I do. I've deleted everything else off my phone and out of my life. Um, and then I have a website, uh, which is just katecockrell.com. And um, yeah, they can email me or, you know, there may be a link, I guess, from a podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely include that in the show notes to your, your site. So Kate, really appreciate it. Um, thanks so much. Thank you. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.